Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. King of OX at your service. BioSTL presents Nothing Impossible. BioSTL, driving the St. Louis innovation economy. Now, Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Welcome into our weekly conversation about St. Louis innovation and innovators, Michael Calhoun and... Travis Sheridan. And this week we will get into... St. Louis had a big announcement in terms of jobs with the movement of Accenture Federal Services to town with a big tech hub hiring about 1,500 people. They want to hire locals in the St. Louis area. How did that deal come about? And also another announcement this week had to do with the Geo Futures Initiative, which aims to make St. Louis, continue to make St. Louis, the hub for geospatial or location technology. Speaking of jobs and locations, we're also going to talk to a scientist who is doing his job, his biotech job, from a very intimate location, his house in the midst of work from home. So that'll be really interesting to see how, you know, a lot of us are working from home with laptops and and whatnot, but how do you do science from home? Yeah, what's interesting is he says he needs two labs at home. I, I don't need two studios, but why do scientists need to have two separate labs? That's one of the things we'll get into as we move forward on Nothing Impossible, presented by BioSTL on KMOX. KMOX, at your service. BioSTL presents Nothing Impossible. BioSTL, driving the St. Louis innovation economy. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Welcome back. Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan with you. And in the midst of pandemic, a lot of us have been working for home, me included. Travis, I believe you're at home right now. Working from home, working hard. Get the whole setup. I feel very comfortable working from home. Yeah, I've got a little bit of a setup here, too, with a mixer and a microphone and a unit that connects back to the station. But even that amount of equipment that had to be dropped off for me, uh, I don't think compares to what some scientists in St. Louis who work out of maybe the BioSTL building have had to uh, deal with when they transition to working from home. Let's find out, though. Charlie Rohde is the CEO of RODX, one of the companies that is in Biogenerator Labs. Thank you for joining us, Charlie. That's my pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Travis? Yeah, so Charlie, you, uh, you're a scientist. What does work from home mean for a scientist? Well, there's a variety of work that you can do at home. Uh, for instance, during this, this stay-at-home order, I did write a, a new patent and uh, have submitted that. Uh, so that was, that was nice work to get out of the way. I also submitted a grant. Um, all of this is, can be done with the usual kind of office setting. On the other hand, to keep the 
pot stirred in terms of, of the biology, the molecular biology that I do. Uh, that needs special equipment and that needs uh, a lot of support. And I have gotten a tremendous amount of support from the, the biogenerator uh, here in St. Louis. It's been uh, just fabulous, actually. And so do you, did you do a lab setup at home to be able to bring some equipment home and, and continue doing the work? Yeah, I've actually have kind of two labs set up here. I, I have one in my basement, uh, and that is where I do kind of my experimental setup. Uh, but anything that needs amplification, I take that to the loft above my garage, <laughs> and I do that there. And that's that's very important. Uh, it's kind of a tell me your strengths, and I'll tell your weaknesses, and vice versa sort of thing. I use the polymerase chain reaction, PCR, to amplify up scant amounts of, of DNA as I look for these cancer mutations. Uh, but one of the drawbacks there is once you've amplified it, some of that DNA can kind of get on other things and you don't want to contaminate your setup or you're always going to be finding <laughs> the, the mutation. So I've, I've got two labs, um, one in the basement for setup, as I mentioned, and then the other in the garage loft for, for amplification and analysis. And uh, both really wouldn't be possible without the biogenerator. Are these big pieces of equipment or uh, you know, how, how much of a moving expedition was it to get the home labs set up? It wasn't too bad. Um, probably the biggest pieces of equipment were, were my, my minus 20 freezer, minus 20 degree centigrade freezer, and uh, my four degree centigrade refrigerator. Uh, luckily, my neighbor has a pickup truck and, uh, <laughs> and, and we're on good terms. So that worked out well. Um, otherwise, it's not, the equipment's not that large, um, but it's critically important. Um, some of it I had, um, from my previous life in San Diego. Some of it I had purchased with a grant I received from the biogenerator, uh, but there were still a few pieces that were missing in the, in the workflow. And then again, the biogenerator stepped up big time. They, they looked at what they had in storage. They found uh, some pieces of equipment that would work. And uh, they have worked, and uh, they've loaned it to me, and it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. It may be a little bit hard to go back, but. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Charlie, you mentioned some of the things you've accomplished, uh, you know, filing for a patent or submitting a grant application. All you need is a Wi-Fi connection and a laptop, and you, you, could, you could make those things happen. But for the work you're doing with RODX, uh, tell us about what RODX is and, uh, you know, how how much of this work do you think you can continue to do in your, your home setup? Well, RODX is, is dedicated to, to screening for cancer. Uh, what you may have heard about the liquid biopsy, get 20 mLs of blood, we'll screen, we'll see if there's any, any cancer causing mutations in that sample. And it's been shown that this sort of approach, not, the precise technology I'm using that I've invented, uh, but this sort of approach can actually detect recurrence of a cancer 
two, three months before a, a CT scan can do so. So we think it has the type of sensitivity that would be in, that it would need uh, for screening for cancer. Uh, what I've tried to invent and build into what my specific technology is, is for it to be very easy to do and very inexpensive because we'll never be able to screen for cancer if it's, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars per screen. It's got to fit into the CMS uh, reimbursement scheme. So uh, I have been having good success here. Um, the the science continues, um, and quite frankly, I, I think it could continue for quite a while uh, this way. However, what I do miss is, is of course, the camaraderie of being at the bow generator, um, being able to see people um, in with their own companies as well, and kind of interact and help each other, uh, borrow things from each other. So I miss that a lot, um, and once I expand, get a little money in, hire people, I'll have to go back to the biogenerator setting. But uh, but it's working pretty well, actually. And the dog loves it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been worried about having the dog noise in the background as we record these shows at home. I don't think so yeah. far it's gotten through, but... <laughs> yeah, the mail's already come, so we're we're in pretty good shape. Yeah, hoping for no doorbell here. Yeah. Well, and that reminds me of um, the, the way that you look at, at one part of the body for an indication about, you know, you're looking at the blood to find an indication for cancer. We've heard a lot about how you could potentially track COVID-19 uh, through testing what's in the sewers. Uh, so that's interesting to, to look at, at one part of the body to get an indication about another. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, did you just compare my circulatory system to the sewer system? <laughs> Inadvertently, I suppose. It, in a way, it's it's kind of similar. <laughs> Not bad. And and what uh, you know, as you're continuing to develop this, what what stage is your science in? Like, how close are you to uh, you know, the work that you're doing and and getting the results that you're hoping for? Well, it's it's uh, it works on various levels, but uh, right now I've I've gotten the preliminary results that convince me that it works. Um, I've gotten two patents already issued. They, one was uh, April 14th, and that was the U.S. patent. And then another was May 13th. That was the, the European grant. Um, and, you know, you need data to, to support those. So I, I'm very pleased that the technology works. Um, I've brought it to a point where I'm layering on additional technologies to it. And uh, we'll soon be going out to raise money and uh, really gear up. Um, I'm pretty conservative. Most of this, well, all of this has been done on my own dime plus some friends and family support. Uh, but we're ready to, to really crank it up and, and hire a couple of people and, and start really taking it to the next level. And Charlie, you mentioned that this began in San Diego with your research. What was it that brought you to St. Louis? And uh, certainly San Diego, when it comes to uh, biomedical research, it's got a reputation. But so does St. Louis. It's growing. Uh, how, how do you compare the two environments for your research? Well, it's 
San Diego's fantastic. It's certainly one of the, not just U.S. hubs for biotech, but one of the world centers for biotech um, and fabulous weather as well. Uh, but in many ways, the reception I've gotten here has, has uh, been much better for me. Um, the support from the biogenerator, not just in the grants, but Charlie Bolton's support, uh, Tom Cohen's support and, and mentoring me. And I've been around the block a few times, but I think you can learn from everybody, right? Um, so that's been really terrific. Uh, the program that they have for looking at SBIR grants pre-submission, it's basically going through the SBIR government grant program, and then you refine what you've done, and then you submit it. So uh, that's, been, that's been fantastic. Um, I reconnected with David Smoller, uh, whom I know, knew from my days uh, at Monsanto and G.D. Searle, uh, and he has been terrific uh, in terms of his support connecting me with people around town, I should say reconnecting in some cases. So I'm actually in a, uh, a St. Louis and I did K through 12 here, uh, went off for grad school, the NIH for my postdoc, and then came back. My wife, Brendan and I raised our kids here, then off to San Diego for 20 years. And uh, now we're back with, uh, with her family. Um, and uh, it's, it's been wonderful all around, both at the family level and uh, certainly at the professional level. Now, Charlie, you mentioned uh, that one of the downsides of sheltering in place and working from home is the, the missed camaraderie. And you just rattled off probably five or six names of, of, of colleagues of yours and friends and, and uh, people that have supported you during, during this uh, journey of yours. Uh, talk a little bit about the, the importance of camaraderie to entrepreneurship and the ability to learn from other people and share your knowledge with other people. Yeah, well, it's, you know, certainly not just entrepreneurship, but science itself. Very true. Very it, true. It, so it's, it's the old saying, right? Art is I, science is we. Uh, we, we build on each other. And, uh, and I, I think that's one of the reasons we see such an explosion of knowledge now is with the internet, we can be more interconnected in terms of access to knowledge. Um, but there's really no substitute for being with people and working with them. Uh, David Smoller is, is, is working to connect me to help find that money that we need to move, move forward. Um, friends in the lab, um, it, it's really tremendous. Some of it also is just being able to talk to someone. Um, as a scientist, I've often, you know, hit a roadblock and have asked a friend to come in and help me. And I'll go to the whiteboard and I'll start explaining it. And I'll get to a point where I say, oh, wait, no, there it is. <laughs> you know, just because you're telling someone else about it, uh, it gives you a certain clarity as to what you are actually really doing and what you have done. Um, so that's, that's just a small example of how helpful it is to, to be able to talk to other people. Um, this grant that I just put in, another example of it, is I got letters of support. I got letters of support from 
from Todd Drewley at Washington University, um, from Canopy, which is another company in the biogenerator space, and uh, from a, a friend of mine at, at Millie Four Sigma. So, uh, yeah, it's great to be connected with all these people and learn from them and uh, hopefully teach a little too along the way. <laughs> all of these mentions of other companies and other organizations and people who've worked at them, and that's something we hear about St. Louis, is that we've got the organizations like BioGenerator at the center, but um, in not other, many other cities do you have uh, potential competitors who, who reach out and provide mentorship and that sort of thing. Yeah, and it's it's a there's a bit of an art to it. Um, you you want to be helpful and you want to help others, um, but you don't want to contaminate what they're doing. Um, and I think the biogenerator has done a very good job at, at managing, making that clear. Um, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's well done. It's really well done. Do you find yourself with the the work from home workflow? Um, you know, it's 5 a.m. and you're up and you think, well, you know, I wouldn't be at the office already, but I'll go ahead and get some work done. Or it's 11 p.m. and you're like, uh, you know, I've got the, the setup here. I guess I'll work on that grant application. Has it changed your workflow or, or some people are saying that um, maybe they're doing a little bit more work because it's it's just right there because it's at home with them? Right. Um, so one one of my sayings that my groups and in, in my former lives I've heard is never confuse activity with productivity. And so I think the real key here is, is I'm getting more bang for my, for my activity buck. I'm actually being more productive because I'm not driving down to do one thing down there. Um, I'm, I'm accomplishing it here. And uh, you're exactly right. I can start, when I get up in the morning, I, I don't, <laughs> I'm not on camera. So uh, I can, I can look just like I do when I get up and I can get something started and come back and, you know, I can have dinner with my wife and go up in the loft and do one more thing. It's a, uh, it's very productive. Um, and again, if it weren't for the, the people and the interactions, it, it would be ideal. Well, it, it definitely uh, makes commuting a whole lot easier if you just walk up or downstairs or down a hallway. Uh, yeah. I can I can understand <laughs> that. Charlie Rohde, CEO of RoDX, thanks for so much for joining us today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. All right, stick around for more Nothing Impossible presented by BioSTL right after this. King MOX at your service. BioSTL presents Nothing Impossible. BioSTL, driving the St. Louis innovation economy. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. One of the biggest jobs announcements uh, I was told that we've had perhaps in decades, Accenture's Federal Services Division is opening a new advanced technology center in West County. Steve Johnson is the CEO of Alliance STL, the St. Louis Economic Development Organization. You know, when you talk to the folks at uh, Accenture Federal Services, they will tell you that this is all about talent. And when we first started working with them, we always try to make sure we have an understanding of what the what the deal points are, that, you know, what's the basis on which they're going to make the decision. And they talked a lot about um, diversification of risk in, in three different areas and two of the talent. One was um, sourcing talent. Um, the other was uh, cost of talent because and the, the two obviously are interrelated. 
Um, so we set out trying to demonstrate that there are multiple avenues to achieve the talent that they wanted here. Um, and then because there are those multiple avenues, the, the cost is, is very competitive. So it, it, was a, it was all about talent. In terms of the talent pipeline, what was it that made Accenture know that they'd be able to hire these skilled workers? Uh, is it that their advanced technology center is going to Maryville Center, right next to Maryville University? Yeah, I, I think the way it's worked out, I'm, I'm sure they will have a relationship with Maryville University and they will have a relationship with um, all the other universities as well. That just happens to be where they um, where they were able to find the real estate that had the square footage and the requisite parking to ramp up to 1,400 people, which is frankly kind of kind of hard to find. Um, and the, the whole key to sourcing talent is just just multiple avenues. I mean, so we always talk um, about the, the college and you know four year and two year um, enrollment in both 50 mile radius and then also a 250 mile radius. We talk, and this is very important to Accenture and Accenture Federal Services, our client. Um, they have a long history of um, of employing veterans, and so when you look at Scott Air Force Base in Fort Leonard Wood. They have 2,600 exits every year of people who are well-trained, and um, many of them have security clearances. And so that also is a great source of talent for them. Um, so it will be a it, it will be a combination of everything from you know the, the the universities to the military bases to programs like um, Launch Code and Coder Girl and, and, and all of those. Um, and we actually took one of our um, economic development professionals and basically pledged her um, to be a concierge for Accenture Federal Services for a year or however long it takes to just make sure that they are introduced to everybody that they need to so that they don't have to try to start creating these relationships on their own, that we hold their hand and introduce them to each one of these avenues for talent because there is no single pathway. And that's what they're talking about when they talk about diversification of sourcing risk. What's the story of a win like this for a company that is new to the St. Louis region, at least the Accenture Federal Services Division? How does something like this happen? How do you find out about it? How do you seal the deal? Well, this this one has a great story. Um, the the lady who's a, who who drove this project, um, it's, and she's a very senior position with um, Accenture Federal Services, grew up in St. Louis, um, and she had a connection to uh, one of our business leaders. And when she was you know tasked to lead this project, she reached out to this individual who connected her with us. Um, to begin you know, doing the due diligence on St. Louis. And because she was from St. Louis, we told her from the very first meeting that the way we would approach this was um, to assume that we had to more than build our case for St. Louis and give her more information and more rationale for St. Louis so that none of her colleagues could ever um, accuse her of putting her thumb on the scale. And even... In one of the interviews or one of the conversations we had with John Goodman, their CEO, he, he talked about giving her lie detector tests just to make sure she was always um, sharing straight information um, about St. Louis. But, but it came to us through one of our um, business executives 
in town. So I, I, I use that to always encourage everybody in the St. Louis area to be opportunistic in their thinking. You know, and who do you know just in your normal course of business who might, um, represent an opportunity for St. Louis because of their connections or the businesses they represent. What is a positive point about the St. Louis region that stood out from all of this? So several of us met with the CEO and their team um, in Arlington back in February. And that was the first time they really mentioned to us that what an impression it had made on their team in the way we worked together here in St. Louis. That, you know, the, the right people were at the table at the right time, and it was apparent that everybody got along, trusted each other, and everybody was pulling toward the same common goal and common purpose. And there's times we've beaten ourselves up in St. Louis because, you know, we sometimes don't always do that. Well, I, I guess my takeaway is I just, I just want to say, you know, this is what can happen when we work together um, toward a common goal as a region. And the partners that we had involved in this project, um, just it, it, this is the way it's supposed to work, just a seamless partnership that just was really pushing hard for a St. Louis win. And that's, I think that's an important takeaway. That is Steve Johnson, the CEO of Alliance STL, getting out there, selling St. Louis, and we've got 1,400 new jobs from Accenture Federal Services on the way to a new advanced technology center. That's not all that's happening. There's also a push when it comes to geospatial technology, the new spy agency going into North St. Louis. How will that create opportunities for those who live in the neighborhood that it's joining? We'll talk to someone from Invest STL up next on Nothing Impossible, presented by BioSTL on KMOX. KMOX at your service. BioSTL presents Nothing Impossible. BioSTL, driving the St. Louis innovation economy. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. All right, welcome back to Nothing Impossible. Michael and I are joined right now with Dara Eskridge, the executive director of Invest STL. Uh, there's been a lot of news recently about the uh, geospatial movement, I guess we could call it a movement, and energy in St. Louis. And there's been some discussion as to how communities surrounding the new complex will be impacted. Dara, thanks for joining the show. And first, before we get into the geospatial and the NGA discussion, tell us a little bit about Invest STL, just in case our listeners aren't familiar. Absolutely. And first, I just want to thank you for having me. I really appreciate the invitation. Invest STL is a regional initiative that is committed to the equitable resident-driven development of our region's neighborhoods. We currently do that primarily through grant making, but as we quickly um, ramp up our activities, we'll be moving into policy, design, and advocacy as well. And what are some of the, uh, the neighborhoods initially that Invest STL got involved in? And then how did you get involved with the GeoFutures effort? So about a year or so before I uh, took the helm at Invest STL, the board made commitments to the West End um, neighborhood in St. Louis City, as well as Dutchtown South. And so um, we are partners with those neighborhoods and two on the ground entities within those neighborhoods for at least the next three years. But I foresee us having a long um, partnership there, even as we expand. 
And for GeoFutures, um, you know, when I was invited to participate, it was intriguing. One, I'm an urban planner by trade. So, you know, geospatial, you know, it, it kind of hits my nerd factor there because I've spent, <laughs> half, you know, I've spent half of my career up to this point making maps and using uh, spatial data to tell us stories about the places that we work in and how to move forward. But more importantly, and what, what's core to my interest and InvestSTL's interest in the GeoFutures work is here's an opportunity to use the growth of an industry to help the region really commit and show up um, on a path that advances us towards racial equity. And so that's why I chose to participate. Well, we've, we've heard some discussions in the last couple of weeks uh, about GeoFutures you know, following a similar playbook, I won't say playbook, but following the example that BioSTL uh, used uh, and provided as they were growing the, the biosciences. Uh, but I would say, uh, you know, we have the, we have a new, I guess, variable, even though the variable has been there quite a while, which is uh, racial equity and social justice. How is that influencing GeoFutures and the ability to, uh, you know, really move this, this initiative forward with through a lens of racial equity. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. Um, I think the initial impetus for GeoFutures was, you know, they looked at the example of BioSTL and really helping an industry grow up here in St. Louis. And they said, you know, we can do that for geospatial as well. And, you know, gratefully, a lot of people at the table also recognize we have so much work to do within our region towards racial equity. And here's a moment where we can embed this at the center of this growth strategy that's rooted to, or that's tied to this industry. So, you know, the, the geo future strategy, it has um, five priorities, you know, one being around scaling up talent and workforce development. Uh, another being raising innovation capacity, accelerating entrepreneurship, brand and positioning St. Louis as a global thought leader. And the one that I feel is the most unique um, to our, our industry-oriented strategies in this region is supporting the advancement of community-driven development. I think at the top of our conversation, you used a phrasing that we've really been trying to uh, reorient. Um, everyone is saying the neighborhood surrounding NGA. We've got to get that language right. It's not the neighborhood surrounding NGA, right? There are neighborhoods that are already there. NGA and the geospatial industry is moving into the neighborhoods. The language and the framing matters because they inform mindset, behaviors, and actions. So that's a first space for us to really center racial equity and authentic community engagement in this process. We have to acknowledge who is already there and that this industry is coming into their home. Thank, uh, thank you for that. Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, and when we, we think about those neighborhoods that are already there, many of them have neighborhood groups or associations, but a lot of those organizations lack capacity to uh, maybe play an active role in either advocating for the needs of their community or uh, fully uh, leveraging this, this new development that is uh, the NGA uh, headquarters. Uh, what role does uh, Invest STL. I understand that Invest STL really helps these these neighborhood, these grassroots organizations enhance their capacity. Do you see that as being a very critical part of your involvement in Geo Futures? 
Uh, I'd say certainly from, you know, an advisory committee standpoint and supporting, you know, the, the implementation of this plan, as well as supporting, you know, the city of St. Louis and its partners in moving forward on the, the neighborhood planning pieces of it. Absolutely. I think, you know, helping to guide them um, and understanding that every neighborhood process has to be rooted in a strong infrastructure that's made up of the people who are currently there and helping them grow their power and their capacity to drive the process themselves and be able to make informed decisions. Kind of at a broader spectrum for InvestSTL, as we are pivoting and really coming into ourselves and our role within this region, you know, we will be launching a new investment strategy later this year. Um, but the cornerstone of it is this thought that in order for neighborhoods to be lifted and for the markets to be lifted, we first have to focus on investing in people and their ability to lead. Um, so, you know, I, I, I would say it's probably not a long shot that if we were invited in by the neighbors there, that we would be at the table to support them in growing their capacity. How do you feel about the the Geo Futures approach to to education, uh, giving opportunity to those who'll be growing up and looking at the NGA facility and thinking, oh, how can I be a part of this and how can I work there? So there are uh, several work groups that are thinking about what's the K through twelve pipeline for helping residents within uh, those neighborhoods get one kind of grow awareness of what geospatial is and what the pathways are for careers. Um, I know that they are working not only with, you know, the local K-12 systems, but also our university systems to really create new curriculum um, and start embedding that in our schools right now as we prepare for NGA to open its doors and its contractors to establish offices around that footprint. Um, and I think that that's a valuable action. There's a lot more planning that needs to take place there. There's a lot more barriers that need to be removed um, because it's not just about getting people acclimated and aware of geospatial and the career pathways. It's also about the industry rethinking what is necessary for someone to have a career in geospatial. And I wouldn't say that that's you know particular to just geospatial. We see that across all industries, but we really have to start reimagining what are really the key um, competencies that we need people to have to have a successful career and, and not some of the um, more traditional things that we put in, in people's way to entry. But aside from helping people gain entry into geospatial as a career, the other opportunity here, perhaps even the larger opportunity, is there is an entire market that's going to grow up, an entire economy that's going to grow up in these neighborhoods because NGA and, you know, the geospatial industry is going to try and take set roots there. We, the, the big collective we, have to be prepared to support neighbors who are already there and being the driving force of that economy by being the owners of the businesses and the amenities that will need to be present, not only to meet the needs of people who are already there. And, you know, there's lots of market leakage there but for the growing population that's going to be there. We want to see residents who are there owning those businesses and building wealth. You know, the, the work that I do uh, with innovation districts around the United States, you know, one of the things that we've learned is that 
typically somewhere between 25 and 40% of the jobs in these quote unquote innovation districts uh, can be secured without a formal four year degree. Uh, you know, oftentimes it is, uh, you know, maybe short term certification, maybe some community college programs, but there's a way to upskill. And uh, it does require the employers to rethink what the knowledge, skills, abilities, and credentials are that they truly need uh, when they're posting these, these positions. Oftentimes, the job posting is the first barrier, right? Uh, a person will look at it and say, well, that's just ob obviously not for me. And I, I do appreciate the, the point that you made that this is an, econo an entire economy that's going to grow uh, in this, in this, uh, with this development and that there are, you know, call them Main Street USA type businesses that, uh, that exist or will exist uh, for the neighbors to, to run in an entrepreneurial type of way uh, to, to, to participate in this. Uh, and so I, I really, you know, this is a, could be a catalyst for a number of things, but the most important catalyst it should be is for the neighbors that are, that are already there, the community that has invested so much time in, in living through the historic disinvestment in, in their neighborhood. Uh, as can you walk us through a little bit of the roadmap of how Invest STL is going to play a role in this? What are some early steps? Well, I, you know, speaking of roadmap, you know, I want to say that that strategy, all of the strategies that are listed by the GeoFutures plan, it's a high level roadmap. It's saying, you know, these five things are important and now it's time to do the real work. Each of those strategies now need their own implementation plans and specifically the community development one. So I think now it is time for, you know, kind of the, the GeoFutures affiliates who are most interested in this work, the city of St. Louis and some other partners across the region to start working with um, the neighborhood groups that are present and some of the neighborhood, neighborhood leaders that are present to really start crafting what that community-driven plan looks like. Um, again, like I said, for Invest SCL, I very much want us to be part of this work, but kind of a, a, a requirement for us to participate is that the neighborhood them, themselves, the neighbors themselves, invite us in. So mm -hmm. until that happens, I don't want to dictate what our role will be. The, the, the complex is supposed to open probably somewhere 2027. I can't remember the exact time frame. Do we anticipate a lot of development happening uh, in advance of that uh, at the local level? I, I, do, I do respect the fact that the neighbors have to invite uh, and really should be inviting people in uh, if they're wanting capacity to even be added. Uh, but what have you seen as you've observed uh, some of these communities uh, how have they been responding to this? How have you have you seen, um, you know, the entrepreneurial bug and the capacity building energy starting to bubble up? So what I've observed, and I, you know, I am in no way the expert on what's happening on the ground. It's the people who are there that are. But what I've observed from where I sit is um, neighbors really taking the moment to process and try and track all that is happening. And it's a lot. There's a lot occurring in a relatively small space um, over a relatively short time period. And so I'm not sure that um, we've really yet supported them in having the space to really dream and, and have kind of the entrepreneurial spirit and the, the possibilities really surface because right now they're trying to get their arms around what is happening. 
And I would imagine their pro- some of the questions is, how does this impact me? Right? Exactly. How does this impact yeah. my life, my neighborhood, my community, mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 the rent that I might pay or the property taxes that I might owe? Uh, is, this a, is this a time of uncertainty because it's, there just hasn't been a lot of, I guess, clear, clear direction? Or what, do you know what the community engagement has been? And I don't want to ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. Uh, just wondering if uh, if you know what the level of community engagement has been and how some of those anxieties have been manifesting themselves or have been reduced. I think that um, in many ways, this is an opportunity and a circumstance that is so different for St. Louis that there's not a ton of precedence for how to do this. Um, And there have been efforts to try to engage community. You know, the city of St. Louis has Project Connect. Um, That is supposed to be the main mechanism for communicating with the neighbors about what's happening. Um, But there's a second component to what Project Connect is intended to be. And I know that the city is working on beefing up that second component. And it's about making it more of a two-way conversation, not just what's happening because NGA and this industry is coming, but also what do you as residents need and want to feel like you are owning and driving this process and that something's not just happening to you. Happening to you. Um, and like I said, there's not a ton of precedence for how to do this. Um, so I think it's going to take a coalition of community partners to support the city in kind of getting this right. Wonderful. Well, Dara Eskridge, who's the executive director of Invest STL, which was part of the big Geo Futures announcement this week for St. Louis. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And we'll be back with more Nothing Impossible, presented by BioSTL right after. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.